Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. Today's cool fact of the day is that, well, there's a lot of talk about hemp versus marijuana these days. So actually, I'm going to share a couple of cool facts with you that are relevant to today's show. Both come from the same plant. Both are from the same genus, cannabis, and they're both the same species, sativa. But do you know the difference between the two? It's just one genetic switch that was only discovered in 2011 at the University of Saskatchewan. Go Canada. The biochemists found a genetic differentiation that allows marijuana to have the psychoactive properties that hemp doesn't. So hemp doesn't produce the enzyme called TCHA, and that's a precursor to THC. So if you look at marijuana plants, they make TCHA, and they do not produce CBDA, which is (laughs) cannabidiolic acid, a word that I never can say very well. And that's what we're going to talk about today, which is basically CBD oil. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Today's guest is Joel Stanley. He's the CEO of Charlotte's Web, one of the the pioneering hemp oil extract companies that's trailblazing in the medical cannabis industry. Uh, Joel and his brothers, Jesse, John, Jordan, Jared, Josh, and Austin, and why Austin doesn't start with a J, I don't know, but man, I'm gonna have to ask you this, Joel. Uh, They've earned a reputation for being the top cannabis breeders and cultivators. We're talking like weeds level, except, well, real. And they've been featured on National Geographic, Time, CNN, New York Times, and a bunch more. They created something called the Realm of Caring, which is a nonprofit that provides cannabis education, funding for studies, and helps families with access to cannabis treatment. And when I say helps families, I mean there were about 15,000 what they call medical refugees who moved in the U.S. to go to Colorado in order to get access for the, mostly for their sick children um, in order uh, to get access to Joel's oil from Charlotte's Web, which is pretty amazing. And today, Joel and his brothers run greenhouses, dispensaries, and labs 
that produce their hemp products, and they've they made a big difference for a lot of people, and, and that's why I've had them on. So, Joel, welcome to the show, man. Thank you for having me, Dave. I appreciate it. So, so what did you think of, of that intro? Did I did I nail it, or did I miss half the cool stuff? No, that was great. That was great. In fact, uh, kind of flattering. And your question about Austin, uh, the only the only brother without a J name. His first name is actually J. J. Period. <laughs> <laughs> Not J A Y. It's J Austin Stanley, um, and there's eleven of us total: uh, seven boys, four girls. You named all the boys, um, but I guess at some point my parents just said, "What's this next name?" And they just said J. Period. So, <laughs> well, I uh, I named my kids all starting with A's, but I, I, I just, kind of a similar way of thinking. I realized that I only needed three letters to spell my wife's name and both my kids' names because I'm a computer science guy. High compression ratio for my family's names. So the 14 people <laughs> who look at compression ratios are laughing right now. Anyway, so it's good to play with your family's names. But more importantly and more to the point, what made you get into medical cannabis as opposed to just getting high? You know, um, I actually wasn't a believer about six months before this. Kind of hard to hard to admit, but about six months before I got into the industry with my younger brothers, my older brother had had started the first dispensary, medical cannabis dispensary, in the city of Denver. And when I heard about it, I just kind of started laughing, um, and I just didn't see cannabis um, or what I called at the time, of course, marijuana as you know, being a medicine, I figured it was an excuse. By the same token, I was not a prohibitionist, so I wasn't against it. Um, I just didn't really understand it. And I flew back to Colorado. At that time, I lived in Texas, and I had to go see his dispensary. And as luck would have it, it the first three people that I met who walked through the door after me were cancer patients, um, stage three, stage four type cancer, going through severe rounds of chemotherapy. And I got their story, in it, and that immediately changed my mind. Um, I had never thought of something like um, what we call the munchies as being therapeutic, but it's extremely therapeutic when someone can't eat, um, can't hold food down. Um, so that was, that was my first selling point on medical cannabis. And I went back to my job in Texas and started reading about it, started poking through PubMed, and, and, and I looked at all of these research papers. I couldn't believe how many research papers had been written on the topic of cannabis. And at the very beginning, we found this funny word, cannabidiol, um, abbreviated CBD. And that's a lot of what, what, what we're talking about here today. And you had studies showing uh, neuroprotective benefits, studies showing anti-inflammatory, studies showing that, that it could potentially treat the underlying disease of cancer. Um, it, so this was extremely promising. But when you look into cannabidiol, you see, wait, this is non-psychoactive, not like THC. Um, which is the psychoactive cannabinoid we all associate with getting high. But cannabidiol, CBD, um, does a lot of the same things that, that THC does without that, that euphoric effect. And some of us don't really like smoking high THC cannabis. I personally don't. It just doesn't jive with me. Many people benefit from it, but some of us would like to enjoy this plant without getting sky high or paranoid or whatever happens to us when we, when, when we smoke. Some people it fits, some people it doesn't. So, so we started breeding for it. I went on a podcast uh, once, uh, and the, the host of the podcast was stoned out of his mind. It was like, here, have some. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm sorry. I want to be coherent when I, when I offer something to your audience here. And I, I just couldn't do it, so I, like you. Uh, I, uh, THC is not my drug. Like CBD oil is, is cool, but but THC, I, I've always been supporting people for, for when it works for them. But man, I don't do well on high doses of that stuff. Like I, I just get tired. I, I'm I'm the same way. I actually you know tend to freak out a little bit. Um, yeah. You know, but there are some people that are so functional, and you're just like, how how are you doing that? And some people <laughs> get through their day with it. I mean, whether they have a they may have an endocannabinoid deficiency or something like this, and it just seems to balance them. But yeah. you know, some of us—I I think there's about 15% of us so far that I've been able to tell that just it doesn't jive with, and we're we're probably better off without the psychoactive side of, of cannabis. So, so, so I, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but I, I was just sort of comparing 
where I would be disabled if I you know, took three or four hits of like really strong stuff and then tried to give a coherent interview. I just would ramble, uh, but other people wouldn't. So what, what's going on there? Like, like dig in on that biochemically to the extent you know. Well, um, we, have, we have two specific receptor sites on our body, maybe more, but two that we know of called CB1 and CB2 receptors. These are, these are cannabinoid receptors. Um, and, and cannabinoids uh, are only made by really two things on the planet. That's our bodies, mammals, and those are called endocannabinoids. Um, and then the cannabis plant makes phytocannabinoids. Um, THC is, is a cannabinoid. CBD is, is a cannabinoid. And most of the cannabinoids are non-psychoactive, um, so we can get them from hemp, which, which we'll go into. But um, mentioning the endocannabinoid system is very important because this is an infant scientific discovery. Um, 1994 was when we found out about this system, but this system is, is integral to every other system in our bodies. It's, it's kind of the regulator of the regulators. And those CB1, CB2 receptors are found at almost every cell in our body, prolific throughout our central nervous system. So, um, uh, throughout our brain stem, um, and then in our, in our gut. Um, that's another important place where, where we find CB2 receptors. And CBD and THC and then the various cannabinoids do very different things at these receptors. Um, and while there's still a lot of research to be done, unfortunately, prohibition also prohibited research, yeah. um, we at least understand that, that CBD is doing amazing things at these receptor sites um, for many people. I mean, as you mentioned, we, had, we once had a waiting list of 15,000 people. Um, we have thousands and thousands of pediatric epilepsy, autism. Now we see a lot of Parkinson's. And, of course, you know, the research hasn't been done to actually make a claim on these things, but the anecdotal evidence and the reports we get every day are just phenomenal. And so we started to look at this and say, you know, for a guy like me who doesn't enjoy THC, now I can enjoy the cannabis plant, those health benefits, without getting high. Um, and... So we started to look at it and just explore what can these compounds, especially the non-psychoactive ones, the ones that are, that are, that are legal, um, what can they do for everyday health, for preventative maintenance, um, because they're, they're helping so many people right now. So, so because you sell CBD oil, you're using the, the careful dance of language where you, you say things like, you know, maintain proper health and all the other I don't know if I should really say this because I don't swear that often, but I'll just say all the other bullshit uh, that is required when you sell something, I have a similar problem with coffee where I'm not allowed to say most of what coffee does because then I would be making claims that would be considered to be pharmaceutical. So I'm like, uh, coffee, it's like blackened stuff, right? But I'm allowed. You know the drill. Oh, I know the drill. And, and for people listening, when you care enough about something to become an expert and then to start manufacturing it... <laughs> Uh, there are gag orders. Uh, I've actually had people say uh, flat out, you have left the realm of free speech. You are now in the realm of controlled speech. This from a government regulator. So you and I are both in this interview, if we talk about our own stuff, limited but what we're allowed to say. I can say whatever the heck I want about CBD oil because I don't sell it. Yeah? <laughs> you sure can. You sure can. But I'm, 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 the, I'm the CEO of CW Hemp that makes that product, Charlotte's yep. Web. So, and I can't, but you know, I, I do point to many of the stories, uh, yeah. you know, they're, they're, you know, reason why this, this whole phenomenon happened was because, um, of a little girl named Charlotte. Um, she was five years old at the time, started taking this product no other drugs worked. Um, she had been through all of the pharmaceutical options, which by the way, her, for her disease state at her age, there was not one FDA approved drug. It was all experimental. You know, mm -hmm. so we, back Back then, we took a lot of flack for, you know, how could you give some form of cannabis to a kid? It's like, well, you know, she had the <laughs> approval of her neurologist and, and two other doctors because she was end of life. She had nothing else to try. And so um, that phenomenon made this story. And we live in this system, you know full well, we live in this system where if something appears to work, now it has to be a drug. And that's just insane. But that's kind of the system we have. And and. The word drug inspires a lot of things in a lot of people's minds. A lot of people think of just psychoactive or recreational or, 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 or damaging drugs, harsh drugs. Uh, but the truth is, is, is what makes a drug a drug from a regulatory perspective, from the FDA's perspective, 
is whether or not you make a specific health claim about it. Um, so this can be done, you know, if I hold up an apple and I'm trying to sell apples, and I say that this apple has vitamin C and this vitamin C, uh, you know, is good for the common cold, if, if that's not an FDA-approved claim, claim, they can come in, they can confiscate all the apples that I'm selling and say you, you were selling a drug. And that's, that's the way it works here in the U.S. Even if you have 50 studies that say apples are good for a cure, until they approve the claim, you still can't do it. Same thing, I'm not allowed to say healthy saturated fats around brain octane, uh, so I, I don't. Even though I would argue very, very well that it's healthy, given that healthy is a, a vague word, and they apply healthy to cornflakes and like low-fat weird crap. But bottom line is, if it's not like rubber stamped by a regulator, you, you, you're not allowed to say it. So I just want people listening to know that when I ask you questions when we're interviewing like that, that you are subject to what I would call gag orders. Um, all people who make foods and supplements are limited in what we can say about them. And so um, I, I think listeners oftentimes don't understand that. That is helpful to them and to me, so thank you. Thank you. So some of the things that I am aware that CBD oil has been used for <laughs> would be things like uh, epilepsy. And my, uh, my mother has had epilepsy uh, for my entire life. And she had surgery that helped uh, pretty dramatically because the doses of drugs she was taking were getting to be toxic uh, to the point they were just building up in her body after 20-something years of using it. Uh, so definitely familiar with you know the effects of epilepsy on, on things. So it, it works really well for that. But diabetes, rheumatoid arthritis, all these autoimmune conditions. That I certainly have autoimmunity. I, I had arthritis in my knees since I was 14. Uh, cancer, antibiotic-resistant infections, alcoholism even, uh, PTSD, neurological disorders. And, okay, that's a pretty long list of things. There aren't studies, like big studies on all those things. Uh, there's lots of other evidence, though. When you look at the fact that, that the U.S. government, National Institute of Health in, in 2003, Division of the U.S. Government, actually filed a patent on behalf of we the people, I guess, um, on cannabinoids as neuroprotectants and antioxidants, when you consider just a word like neuroprotectant, um, now you, a lot of the, the, the disease states you mentioned, um, <laughs> whenever you have a, something that's naturally occurring that is neuroprotective and the U.S. government admits to it, um, now you're on to something for those neurological disorders as well. But it just, it just makes sense. We know that it's neuroprotective. We know the, that we have these CB1, CB2 receptors throughout our, throughout our central nervous system. Um, so, of course, it's going to impact um, some of those disease states potentially. But as I, as I mentioned, prohibition didn't just prohibit us from possessing all those years. It also prohibited research. Yeah, we're we're dealing with that right now. There's people calling for you know, uh, don't, basically banning of research on certain topics that are taboo, and I find that to be insane. Like you never ban research on anything because understanding lets you know how dangerous or useful something is. But when you stop looking at it, it's like willfully putting on blinders. And some of the the skeptics out there do that. Like you, you cannot research X because I don't believe that there's a way it can work. You're like really, like. In that case, maybe you shouldn't research it and someone else who might know more than you should research it. Just a thought. <laughs> That's why a lot of the great research going on around the world on uh, uh, not just cannabis, but, but psychedelics in general, it's, it's just been prohibited here, just blindly blanket prohibited. And that's an insane way to, to approach anything. Um, it, until we kind of lift the veil and start, start approaching the topic of drugs and psychotropic drugs with information and education instead of just this blindfolded fear, we're not going to get anywhere. We're going to continue to see a rush of teens wanting to use whatever we prohibit. <laughs> I mean, you look throughout, you look throughout history, and, and, and cannabis itself has, has been used by almost every civilization, sometimes in major ways, and you can't find a record of, of teens in mass numbers trying to get their hands on it until we said, no, you can't have it. It's just a, just a silly way to approach things. You just gave me a great idea. What if we banned high-intensity interval training? Like, would teenagers everywhere go out and start exercising? I, I wonder. <laughs> we should maybe ban that. Yeah, we should maybe ban that. We should, we should ban building forts and uh, condone playing Nintendo. And, and maybe they'll, maybe they'll get their, their butts outside. I don't know. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, there's some other stuff, and I've spent a lot of time, I have a new book that's coming out uh, in April about mitochondria, and 
so I spent basically the last year really digging in on mitochondria, even though I've been like like modifying mine for about 15 years. And when you look at Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and pretty much every neurodegenerative disease, ALS, it all comes down to these energy-forming organelles that are inside the neurons. And they get weak, and you get these things. CBD has really strong antioxidant and neuroprotective properties. Do you know, is it affecting our mitochondria, or is it doing something to the neuron, or do we know how it's working there? I would love to be able to explain that to you, and I bet I know a few people who could, but they're, okay. they're, they're not here right now. They're and, not here. And I, don't, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds. Cool. I've, I've learned a lot of medical technology, and, and um, it, I've met with some of the world's top neurologists simply because of Charlotte's Web, and I love hearing them speak, but I'm just not versed enough to address that. All right. Don't want to go too deep for the audience either. I'm, I'm just uh, always so interested when you see these common elements where you see something that's as broadly effective as CBD, it always makes you wonder, like, is it happening at a very low level in the cell? So what, what's, a normal, uh, what's a normal person listening to this says, you know, I, I have uh, psoriasis, let's say, or you know, I, I have some autoimmune stuff, Hashimoto's, thyroiditis or something. If they said, you know, I think I want to try CBD oil, should they go to their doctor? Uh, should they kind of start experimenting should they spark up a bowl like like what what's the right the right pathway for them um the right pathway for them is um to start with cbd anyone who's interested in trying cannabis because they hear that it's anti-inflammatory any of um, uh, um, neurodegenerative disorders or just people that want to take it for preventative maintenance because they're afraid of future neurological disorders um cbd is a great place to start because we actually can derive it from hemp, and hemp is a is a legal product. The U.S. in fact imports more hemp than any other country in the world, and we have only five percent of the world's population. So this has been legal for decades, um, but just legal to be cultivated in the U.S. as of 2014. I mean that was even prohibited for a while. Um, but so they can seek out CBD from hemp sources, no matter what state they live in. Now, um, our our product, Charlotte's Web. Uh, they can go to cwhemp.com, uh, cwhemp.com. Um, and, and we also have the nonprofit organization, The Realm of Caring. Um, as you know, if, if someone calls my customer service team and says, hey, I've got Parkinson's um, it, or ALS, how do I dose this? We absolutely cannot handle that question. Uh, yeah. We're not allowed to. Um, so mm-hmm. we formed The Realm of Caring, which is an organization that, that – that collects most of the volunteers and and most of the call center staff there are actually families that have already been through this, already learned how to dose cannabis appropriately for XYZ conditions. So we, we connect the new client um, with old clients and they can discuss that behind their own closed doors. Um, it, we have nurses there so they can discuss with their doctors. Um, this is a very viable tool and I would recommend that anyone with an with an inflammatory disorder, um, with a neurological disorder, um, to try cannabis as a safe option. I mean, cannabis has never killed anyone. We're talking about a, a safety profile on CBD uh, that's much like vitamin C, uh, much yeah. safer than, than common household sugar. So it's, it's, it's worth a try. And then beyond that, beyond someone that says, okay, I've got this inflammatory disorder, um, it, just for general health. I, it, I mean, I... I told you earlier that I've been I've been doing bulletproof coffee for over a year now and I add my own product to it I add, I add my product to your product um, be, because that's my daily dose of CBD why do I take it well I have um, I, not regular inflammation uh, but it, it seems to keep me away from um, certain problems associated um, I don't want to get in the weeds there I need to be really careful here <laughs> um, uh, but I take it because it's it's preventative maintenance, and I think that the average person, um, especially once we, once we start start to understand a little bit more about what this is doing at that cellular level, once we get the research, um, I think we're definitely going to see that this should be a part of everyone's diet, uh, just like vitamin C, just like just like your B vitamins, just like your omegas. Um, we have that endocannabinoid system. Why wouldn't we have cannabinoids to supplement it daily? It's just kind of been locked out by, by prohibition. 
So, so I, I'm planning to live to 180 or longer. And that's a real number, and, and some people are like, well, there's no evidence that... Yeah, there's no evidence any of us is going to live for more than one more minute. That's okay. But I'm doing everything I can to minimize all of the thousands of things that just whittle away at, at your ability to maintain and repair your own system. Uh, and 180 seems pretty reasonable given the rate of change of tech. So like you said, preventive maintenance really matters. And doing something for your nervous system, actually I do a lot of things for it, but doing another thing for the nervous system and working with the, the endocannabinoid system seems like a, a pretty good candidate for that. Do you have any studies on, on aging? Um, we don't. We don't, but we are engaging certain universities to, to do these studies and, and, and find what is the right cannabinoid combination, what is, what is the right plant for preventative maintenance for aging, especially neurologically. Yeah. Um, and again, it goes back to prohibition. I'm sure there would be a plethora of those studies out there um, yeah. if we hadn't prohibited researchers from actually handling this substance for so long. <laughs> It's funny when we compare uh, your biggest competitor, which would be Big Tobacco. <laughs> uh, they're freaked out about all these, uh, uh, all these, these newfangled pot growers. The amount of research available on nicotine and tobacco is unbelievable. Of course, they suppress the stuff that said it caused cancer because it was bad for business. And I'm really hoping that if they do find some downsides for marijuana, that, that we don't make that mistake again. I think the internet makes it harder to hide research for 50 years like they did in big tobacco. But uh, I, I've found that low-dose nicotine, when there's studies going back 10, 15 years, it, it increases mitochondrial function, entirely separate from smoking. And I think a lot of the, the problems with pot were people burning stuff and breathing it, which is clearly aging, not anti-aging. And then you're like, okay, am I getting moldy pot? Like the quality control wasn't there. All these, uh, all these, these things that went into people saying, oh, it, 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 like, like the, the pros and the cons were so intermixed that it was hard to sort them out. But with what you're doing, you have a scientifically controlled product. You're taking out the THC variable, which actually could be anti-inflammatory in and of itself in some people. But you're also allowing us to use something that, that now we can go in and do proper research on uh, because it doesn't fall into this crazy prohibition era thing. But it, if we hadn't prohibited it, we'd, we'd have much more data than we do. Uh, and you talked about adding it to your Bulletproof coffee. So a while back, I tried some kind of... Uh, uh, so I, I did a podcast a while back where we talked about you know, hippie speedball adding uh, CBD oil to a Bulletproof coffee, and it was it was pretty funny. The... The problem, though, I had is that I had some some CBD oil butter blend uh, that someone made for me that was non-THC, and I took it, and I, I swear I thought my skin was going to fall off. Like, I got extremely dry skin, like rashes, and I was like, this is not good. And I think it was actually that that brand of, of stuff. Is it possible that... Is it possible that, that people would have a bad reaction to CBD itself? I would say, of course. I mean, it's possible to be allergic to any plant. So, of course, it's possible someone could be allergic to um, the plants we use for the Charlotte's Web product. That's, that's certainly possible. We haven't, we haven't really seen that yet. Um, and we've been through thousands of folks. We haven't the, really gotten that, that report. This, this wasn't Charlotte's Web. This was uh, an, another brand. And I, yeah. I thought it might have been like a, a purity issue with it because I've used CBD oil in other forms without problems. I can smoke pot. I, you know, I, a hit or two, I'm fine. But you give me more than so that. So you're not allergic to cannabis. No, you know I'm not. This. All right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, like a solvent issue or something. Yeah. I don't. I don't like to throw the industry under the bus, but in a lot of ways, it's 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 already under there. Um, <laughs> simply, you know, it's you a got great an industry that it was that it was. <laughs> That was that was born out of closets yeah. um, and, and and basements and and products made in, in dingy garages, the same places people were working on their cars, um, and a lot of that isn't isn't because those folks making it wanted it to be that way, but it was because um, it was prohibited. And now that it's not prohibited, even in many of these states, if you want to do it the right way, um, you don't have access to conventional lending. Banks aren't aren't going to lend to you to start a business to do this, and so. Um, I, we can be real hard on the industry for its quality control, but at the same time, it doesn't have the same tools of access 
for conventional businesses. Mm-hmm. And so quality control has been very low. Um, and that's one thing we, we serve ourselves on. Um, I can't tell you how, how freaky it was to have this five-year-old um, years ago, Charlotte, who was medically fragile, end of life. They'd signed a do not, do not resuscitate for her. And we're going to create a product now for her to try out of cannabis uh, with all the stigma associated with, with cannabis. I was shaking. I was literally mm-hmm. shaking. Um, and we took quality control seriously. We had, we had predominantly cancer patients before this. We, we took it very seriously, but that, that took my thinking to the next level. I mean, we just took it to extreme levels of testing, um, and just overall cleanliness, um, documentation, how you make these products. And back then I was, I was making these products for, you know, maybe 40 or 50 people, um, whoever had just, just heard about Charlotte's story through Facebook or Whatever, and you can have quality control. Um, it's it's kind of like if 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 you're going to make a batch of brownies for house guests or pasta or whatever, it's going to be consumed right then and there, right? When you're going to make a product for thousands and thousands of consumers, and and you you have to understand how how do I package this? What can happen <laughs> in the process to make this potentially have something that can grow inside of it? Um, mm-hmm. Some some type of biocontaminant. Um, and then how long is it is it going to store? And those studies take time. And um, when you're developing a new product especially, you need to take every institution to make sure that there are no toxins in that product. And this goes from the, the pesticides at the farm, even heavy metals. Hemp is a great land reclamation crop. But the problem is, I mean, we all consume some small amount of lead every day. Every, every time you eat an apple, you, you've got some trace acceptable amount of lead. Um, it might even be important. We don't really know. You might even need that small level. But when you have a land reclamation crop like hemp and it, it, it pulls up lead into itself like most plants do, and then you concentrate that plant, now you're also concentrating those potential contaminants. It might not have been harmful in the actual plant itself at plant levels, but now you've concentrated it. And so I, I don't know exactly what happened with you, um, but I, I can assume that it's likely um, an issue of quality control and some type of contaminant um, that, the, that the manufacturer didn't take care of. That, that was my guess as well, just because I, I know other stuff works, but that, that was a bit spooky and worth paying attention to. I, I know many other people who've had really strong benefits, so I, I, I will try some of yours now that we've talked a little bit about the, the quality control uh, aspects of it. And, and people... Uh, people listening to our interview uh, probably haven't thought about what you just said, but the the scale of error. You screw up in your kitchen, whatever, but you screw up and you're making something for hundreds of thousands of people. A, you could make them sick. Like you, you must not do that. And also, it's going to be stored for a while. So, who cares if your brownies had a little something in them because you ate it? And I deal with that. We make the the bulletproof uh, collagen bars, and getting those right took two years to get them out the door, where they have the, the brain octane in them, and they hold together, and they don't have the microbial stuff. We just launched our ghee, which you can use with CBD. A lot of people actually use ghee and CBD together. Uh, we make it from 100% grass fed butter, but our first batch, our first commercial batch of eight thousand bottles or 8,000 jars of it uh, was ruined because one person didn't change a filter they were supposed to change. And like you, I'm almost certain you do this. We test everything kind of religiously. So we test before, we test during, we test after, and we test it after. Like, what's going on here? And a little bit of protein made it through that shouldn't have made it through. It didn't meet the standards and it would have grown stuff eventually. But you're like, dang it. So yeah, that was just a waste of butter. But it was better than sending it to people because that would have been even worse. So, that, But that thing is, is entirely invisible to the world, but it's not present when you're doing like a real early stage supplement, you're doing someone making stuff in their garage, which you can do. They're just like pre-regulatory, so the quality control things are in place. It, it's actually a little bit frustrating to deal with that. I imagine you have that problem too, right? Uh, we had a um, similar story. Uh, this one you know, had, had nothing to do with our manufacturing processes internally but what had happened was I, I walked up to our lab one day and I'm out back and they're dumping full bottles of Charlotte's Web 
And you have to think, this is coming from a guy who had a 15,000-person waiting list that was heavy, that was scary, so every milligram was so precious. Well, now we've got plenty. We've ended the waiting list, but still, they're dumping these full bottles of Charlotte's Web in, in, into this adsorbent material. And they're basically rejecting a batch. And this happened a few times for various reasons, um, it, which is really a badge of honor when, when, a, yeah. when a company finds something and says, yeah, we're not going to take this batch because it doesn't meet our quality yeah. specs. Um, so I asked what happened, and they said, well, we, we went through the entire process, and we test everything for aflatoxins, molds, solvents, through the, through the, through the whole process, right? So it gets tested several times while it's an oil, after it's infused, before it gets bottled, and then it goes as, as final bottles, random bottles, go, go to the lab to test for these things. And so when we got to the final packaging, we had aflatoxins present. So what were the levels? My QC guy, awesome guy, says, well, they were acceptable for certain foods, um, <laughs> a lot of foods, but they weren't acceptable within our spec. And I said, all right, that's, that's awesome. So we have a higher spec. Great. Uh, but how did that happen? Um, he didn't know. So a couple weeks later, he, he gets back to me and says, you know what? It was in the, the little droppers from the bottles, from the manufacturer of those, of those food, supposed to be food grade dropper bottles, had, had residual levels of an aflatoxin. Um, so it wasn't even anything we did wrong. It was inside those, those jars themselves, those, those little yeah. glass droppers. So, so we rejected that, that whole batch. And you look at that as a company and you say, you know, um, okay, that hurts. Um, you know, you get to the finish line with something and you just see someone dumping, you know, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars retail into an absorbent material. And that, that can freak you out, but it's the right thing to do. And, and, any company that is making products, dietary supplements, food, drug, on this scale, um, you're just going to run into it because there are variables that are not always within our control, and you set those measures to make sure you catch them. It, it's interesting you brought up aflatoxin. That is the single most cancer-causing substance known to man. And here it is, you have a product that other people, without your knowledge or permission, might be using for their cancer. <laughs> and uh, they... Uh, so you would never do that. Uh, I, I, I've, I've run into that too. I wanted to launch a maca product because there's seven kinds of maca. And maca is, is useful for testosterone in men. It's useful for hormone stuff in women as well, depending on what species you use. But I was getting these samples back that had like 13 parts per billion of aflatoxin, like very high-end manufacturers, because it's a starchy product that's dried in a jungle. You might imagine mold would grow. And finally, I just gave up. I'm like, I'm not going to do this because I don't think I can reliably make a, a mycotoxin-free version of this. And maybe someone does, uh, uh, and there's several good brands of it out there. But these little things, you're not even required to test for them in a lot of products. But if, if you care, you do it anyway. That's right. You know, we have, um, within the dietary supplement vitamin world, which is really where Charlotte's Web fits, um, it we have what's, what's, what's called good manufacturing practices dictated by the FDA. Um, you know, we, we went through a third-party CGMP audit, passed with flying colors. I was very happy about that. But really what's more special about what companies like us do is that we also adhere to the standards of the American Herbal Products Association, which dive, in, dive deeper into topics like aflatoxins. Um, our, our regulatory system is okay. Um, to make sure that manufacturers have some quality control. Uh, but you have some other industry groups that have really set the bar and they've set the bar at the right place. And so when people are looking for products like this or any dietary supplement, look for or organizations like, like APA, American Herbal Products Association. Um, and, and you'll see that companies that comply with that, you can rely on those products every time. They're gonna be consistent. They're also gonna be the same. I mean, that's another major problem we have in our industry is when our story hit CNN, Sanjay Gupta, right, um, we knew that there were very few milligrams of CBD existing in the whole world and that it, it, I, we didn't have enough for our waiting list and we had more than anyone in the world most likely at that point in time because you know, people in the industry couldn't even pronounce the word cannabidiol back then. But uh, suddenly, now that it's on CNN, you start to see on Amazon.com, all these products start popping up. Yeah. So people get really excited. They get their hopes up because they're on this waiting list for Charlotte's Web. They order these products. Um, nothing happens, and they're like, oh, you know, CBD is BS. They send us the product. We test them, and there's nothing in it. A ten times out of ten back then, there was nothing in it. Um, and that's, you know, that's a black mark on our industry. And, and, but dietary supplements have that same problem. 
Um, so consumers need to just be aware that there are people out there that will take advantage of you um, within dietary supplements, um, within food products in general, vitamins. Um, so look for those seals of approval from trusted organizations. Uh, yeah, it, it's, it's interesting. Some of the more powerful things you can get, like aniracetam, one of the smart drugs, uh, I'm, I'm a fan of this stuff. I would love to make aniracetam for people. Like I know the good suppliers and all that, but it's, it's not prohibited, but it's not allowed by the regulatory people. And I've been using this stuff every day for more than 10 years because it increases your ability to get things in and out of your memory. I'll probably live longer as a result of using it. Uh, but you have to go and just buy it formerly on Amazon. And then last year, one day, Amazon just decided, oh, we won't sell any of this anymore. So all of the various like small garage brands of Anorastam just disappeared, and it's gotten harder to find. So Amazon has the ability to take things down, but they usually don't. And if they do, it could just be a broad spectrum, and all of a sudden it's gone. So people oftentimes, when there's an emerging technology like CBD was a few years ago when you pioneered it, um, it, it was hard for people to get. They had to come to Colorado, and then you get where you can ship it. But then there's, there's interstate commerce regulatory things, and all of that's invisible. People are like, why don't they just send me CBD oil? And, well, that's why. And why are there quality problems? Well, because you couldn't get distribution, and because people uh, were opportunistic, they saw something and said, oh, we'll copy that. We don't know if we're doing it right. So you get these copycat brands and uh, uh, these kind of fly-by-night operations that don't grow without the quality control, but that seems like most innovation happens there, just like yours did, but you kept at it, and now you're beyond the, the early stage where people are coming to you because they're going to die if they don't. And now you still have those same people who, who can use their product if they choose to, uh, but you have the ability to scale it. How did you do that? Like That, that is really unusual. I, I know because I did it with, with what I do, but almost no one listening. So tell me the story of how you went from, you know, Doing it in literally like like in a small facility for for end of life people. How did you go from there to where you are now? Like, give me the story. You know, we when we when we met Charlotte Figgy, um, her 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 mother Paige sought us out and said, "I hear that you guys have been breeding this CBD, um, and I think it might be something that could help my daughter." She had been she had been pouring through research, and oddly enough, there's there's a a decent amount of research out there for something that is that is prohibited. Well, she found it, and she wanted to know about CBD. She searched, scoured the industry, found us. And um, at that time, we had only eight plants of the genetics that go into the Charlotte's Web product. Um, we it had, at that moment in time, we had just called it Hippie's Disappointment. Uh, mm-hmm. We were very proud of it. We thought it was going to be great for people like me who didn't want to get high but still wanted the health <laughs> benefits, for lots of the cancer folks who didn't want to get sky high. Um, so we took Hippie's Disappointment. It was, it was eight plants. Um, we renamed our entire breeding project after, after Charlotte, Charlotte's Web. Um, but we were stuck within medical marijuana regulations here in Colorado. In fact, you, st- you couldn't grow hemp domestically yet. This is 2012, right? And under those regulations, very expensive. You have to have a camera from every angle, all this security. You have RFID tags on every plant. Um, very, very ex- Yes, yes, because uh, it's such a dangerous plant, right? Um, uh, very expensive to scale. And it was heavy. It, this this waiting list just grew and grew and grew up, up to up to fifteen thousand people. Um, we did everything we could for people. We would have, we would have bonfires. I mean, just this whole community, mostly of, of pediatric epilepsy, but a lot of autism too, developed in in my hometown of Colorado Springs. There's this whole community of people. It, it's many of them still live there, even though they can go home. They still live there just because of the community that happened out of the Charlotte's Web story. But it was really heavy, and we couldn't scale under medical marijuana program. Fortunately, um, in 2013, when Colorado ironically legalized recreational cannabis, in that same piece of legislation, they also legalized the cultivation of industrial hemp. Shortly after, in 2014, the federal government allowed a provision that allowed for the first time in many decades the cultivation of industrial hemp um, through state departments of agriculture. So everything really fell into place. Those plant genetics, the original hippie's disappointment, now going into the product Charlotte's Web, um, those original eight plants really fit within what we know as hemp. And thank God for industrial hemp regulations 
or else we'd still have a waiting list. Um, it, we, we would have never been able to scale the way we did. Um, so we went out from greenhouses, RFID tags on every plant, to agricultural, um, center pivot, ir- ir- irrigation, still organic practices, all of this. Um, but we were able to go from a few hundred plants to a couple hundred thousand plants on acres. So we had our first harvest in, in fall 2014. While we were doing that, we were building this laboratory. Uh, fortunately, our, our story had, had reached some folks that, that were willing to invest in this. Um, at that time, um, that other CBD products were out there, as I mentioned, most of them without any CBD in them. The price per milligram of CBD at that time was 50 cents per milligram average out there in the industry. Ours was five. It is still five cents a milligram for um, for anyone who signs up at the realm of caring. That means that they're serious about it. They might really need it. Um, it but we were able to go into this hemp agricultural economy of scale in which five cents actually made sense. That used to be our cost of good. Now it actually makes sense for us as, as a company. Um, but we had investors. Uh, we set the lab in Boulder, Colorado, in which we had access to um, all of these great minds, analytical chemists, um, coming out of the University of Colorado, and just kind of a many, many strokes of luck, um, a lot of hard work. We came to what I believe is the best cannabis laboratory in the world right now. Um, and it all came together over a couple of years, and now we're able to do what we do, high-level quality control, and we don't have a waiting list. So. Well, c- congratulations. That is a, it's a fantastic story. I did a bunch of research on uh, CBD receptors a while back for a piece on, on the Bulletproof blog. And it looks like there's some evidence for vaping CBD. And I don't know if you can talk about that, if vaping maybe some like drug delivery technology or something. If you can't talk about it, just tell me. Uh, no, I can't. It, 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 is, is there merit to vaping CBD oils versus swallowing them? I believe that there is and there isn't. Depends on what use. So typically when you get a CBD oil for vape, it's been more fractionated. So this has been through a process called winterization where the fats and waxes and many of the terpenes, um, other plant phytochemicals that actually do work with CBD, um, uh, many of those are gone. Uh, but if you, if you need CBD and you need CBD quickly, I know a lot of people that report vaping. Um, in fact, I, I ask people with certain things, uh, people that happen to get a, a, uh, aura, before they have uh, one of those nasty things. Um, <laughs> well said. Look at, look at that. <laughs> what a funny thing we have to do here. But um, it, the reports are amazing, and I would highly recommend it for people that, that need quick delivery um, because inhalation therapy, we'll call it, um, gets <laughs> gets things right into the bloodstream quickly. Whereas if, if you take things as a, as a supplement under your tongue or as a pill, swallow it, um, you're going through it through an entirely different system that's that's going to change the bioavailability of every compound in that plant extract. Um, but both ways are good. I wouldn't say one over the other. It just depends on you as a person, your biochemistry, and, and what you're using it for. Is there some sort of a system you could get where you could take your oil, put it in a device, and vape it? Or is it not set up that way? We actually um, we had vape pens out there, a test run for a little while, uh, because we do believe in it, as, as I just said. Um, we pulled them recently because we're basically recalibrating. We think we can do it better. We figured out some things through R&D, through a great scientist up in Boulder, um, and we're going to relaunch that line, um, both um, vape oils that you can put in your own vape pen, um, but also pre-packed vape pens with Charlotte's Web. And, and you said something else, too, about your cost of goods. One of the benefits of vaping is it, it requires less of the raw material uh, mm-hmm. to get the active um, amount in. But you can just take it orally if it's affordable. And you've got, because you, you changed how you grow it uh, because of some regulatory changes, you've got the cost down. So it might just be more convenient to pop a capsule and be done with it unless you have an urgent need because you know, you're starting to see, uh, to, to see ROs and because you have a, a massive headache or some other rapid onset neurological thing. And, and there's, there's a bunch of those where, where people are like, I was feeling good five minutes ago. I can feel something's about to happen. 
And if there's a, a, a rapid intervention there, it, it really matters. And you know, it does. This, this, this goes right to the issue as well. Um, the Charlotte's Web, when I, when I, when I take the most popular product, um, the Everyday Advance, and, I, and I, I put it under my tongue um, or I just swallow it, I'm getting a real whole plant form. And as I mentioned, these cannabinoids are not the only thing that, that work at the CB1, CB2 receptor site. Um, they act differently when there's a presence of simple plant terpenes like beta-caryophylline or limonene or pinene. These are found in regular fruits and vegetables, um, but they're also found within cannabis. And so it acts differently at those receptor sites when other cannabinoids and other plant compounds are present. And when you vape, you just don't get the same thing. Um, and so it just really depends on what you're using it for and who you are in your own biochemistry. But that's, that's also why the actual genetics matter. Yeah. The first level of quality control that everyone in cannabis needs to look at, whether you're in CBD or THC in a, in a medical marijuana friendly state, when you're making a product that works for someone, don't change it. Don't change it. Don't, don't change those plant genetics. I mean, people just buy random material, throw it into an oil, oh, yeah. put it into a carrier and then pump it out with the same label on it. Um, <laughs> And, and this should apply for echinacea and, and, and yeah. every botanical there is out there. Use those same genetics because it, just as you and I are different, Dave, uh, these plants vary in their, in their individual fingerprint, their, their individual profile. It, it's kind of shocking, but coffee is the same way, right? <laughs> like if you buy it from a bulk broker, like 99.9% .9 of the coffee world, yeah, I went there, tasted about it this way, but you know, the genetics of the plant, everything about the process matters. So you're right. Like the, it's a different view. You're looking at the system of it, starting at the genetics and cultivation all the way through to the delivery system, right? Well, this is, yeah, and and that's a lot of the reason why botanical medicine um, has been laughed at for so many years by the medical community, which is actually changing. And and I think cannabis is actually changing the medical community's mind, pushing that pendulum back over toward plant-based medicine. But when you look at it, because we now understand that that every plant, every, every genetic, every phenotype in any one of these botanical medicines um, is potentially special and going to work for a certain subset of people. Um, now we understand how to standardize this a little bit better, but the lack of standardization has just created a bad rap for plant medicine in general. Another guest on the show, a, a guy who's become a friend, is Alberto Viotto. He's a, a cultural anthropologist and a, a trained shaman. And he went down oh, about 30 years ago to the jungles to find medical plants for drug companies <laughs> and came back, you know, trained as a shaman and ended up not doing that for similar reasons where if you take the one compound out, you miss the cofactors that signal other parts of the body. And we had this, I would call it a hubris, saying, well, we're, we're going to do this. We're going to find the drug that's in the plant. Well, what if the plant was the drug and it it turns out that this one part of the plant by itself has a strong effect, but the other supporting cofactors actually make it work better or have less side effects. But just the, the way we set up our, our drug system, it, we sort of rejected that. But I, I think the consciousness is, is changing to the point where people would rather have a tea or an herbal extract than a drug made from the same herb. Uh, and and you're, you're following those footsteps saying have the whole oil versus even just vaping it because vaping it, you get, you get less of it even if it hits you faster. Yeah, it, it's, and that, that, um, that single compound approach that, that, that we've taken to pharmaceuticals and medicine in general, I'm, I'm not going to say that that's, uh, that that's bad science or that we can't have good tools there. But at the same time, exactly as you said, you know, all of our plant, all of all, all of our medicines originally came from plants. Um, then we started isolating molecules so we could understand better what each molecule is doing, um, and then we started finding side effects. So, you know, now you have a, a a pharmaceutical research company that goes to an indigenous tribe and says, "Oh, they use this product for migraines, this plant for migraines," and they find out what molecules likely um, cause any impact on migraines, or what couple sometimes. Then they isolate them or synthesize them. And now they've got all these side effects. They're like, well, wait a minute. This, these, this indigenous tribe didn't report all these side effects. Is this epigenetics or what's the deal? So they go back to that plant sometimes and say, what molecule offset those side effects? Now they've got another drug they can sell to you. 
right? You can have six pills surrounding one plant just to offset side effects going around the original condition you were going after. Um, it just makes sense. I, I don't, if you're a scientist, I don't, I don't care whether you believe that God made these plants for us or we evolved alongside them. It just makes sense that our bodies recognize them as they are. If all of these compounds that can work synergistically, um, and when you approach the FDA um, or a research scientist that's familiar with the FDA approval process, you'll be told, you know, why can't I get my plant, my botanical medicine through this process? Um, and they'll tell you basically it's a square peg through a round hole for that. They'll say that because you have hundreds and sometimes thousands of these different compounds all working um, within your plant extract, because we can't quantify what each one's doing, it's bad science. What they're really saying is, is because we humanity are not smart enough or lack the tools to understand what all those compounds are doing together, it's bad science. And that's just a terrible approach, but that's the approach we've had for years. And again, I believe cannabis is, is going to lead the way back to plant-based medicine, not just for cannabis itself, but because these cannabinoids, there's so much evidence now, and there's going to be more and more as, as we study this, that they work in conjunction with other plant compounds. And, and your industry has now reached uh, a critical mass where you have the billions of dollars. Uh, that means you can fund uh, research on par with pharmaceutical and big tobacco kind of companies. And at that point, it gets harder and harder because if you're the early stage stuff, it's almost like there's a machine out there to play whack-a-mole with, with innovation around, around health. And they, they just they bonk companies on the head all the time. Ugh. And the industry is too big to do that right now. Maybe big tobacco could take down uh, the cannabis industry, but I think it's about two years too late for them to do that. They missed that. I think so, too. And um, you're absolutely right. And now there are tools. This is out of the closets. This is out of the black market. This is out, out of our basements. Um, and now there's viable businesses that, that can invest in that research and, and development. And ultimately, at the end of the day, what the medical community wants to have that final push back over into um, advocating for botanical classes of medicines, what it, what it wants and what it needs. And, and this is fine. This means that, uh, you know, these are smart people. It needs data and it needs that information. We're going to be able to get it now. This next decade of research is going to be very exciting what we're going to find out. Well, Joel, th thanks for what you've done with Charlotte's Web. It's, uh, it, it's fantastic stuff. And, and speaking of data, like you just said, I want to gather three more pieces of data from you. That's something I've asked every guest on the show in more than 350 episodes, except that one episode, number 77, where I forgot. <laughs> if someone came to you tomorrow and said, look, I want to kick ass at everything I do. Like, I, I want to perform better as a human being. What are the three most important pieces of advice you'd have for me? What would you offer them? Not just from your business, but just from your life. I would say meditation um, has been one of the most important things for me. It's that tool that allows you to um, be who you truly are, not who you think you are, not who you were trying to be. It's that thing that, that resets you. Um, I think that that's very important, but it's also very difficult to, um, to meditate when you're not healthy already. Well said. Um, so diet, diet's very important. And I'm going to put diet and exercise in it because I want to get another thing in. So diet and <laughs> exercise, we, we come, so that's not two things. That's one thing. Um, and then I will say for my life, not for everyone's life. Um, one of the things that set me on the path for meditation and for caring about my body and my consciousness, um, we're actually exploring, um, plant-based medicines, many of them that, uh, uh, that are psychotropic. I've been through shamanistic journeys, and that's been a huge piece of my waking up um, and becoming who I'm supposed to be. Um, very, very well said. And I've, I've had a couple episodes where we talk about ayahuasca, and I certainly did it a long time ago in Peru with the shaman. And, uh, so I'm, I appreciate that you brought that up. Not a lot of people talk about that, but it, it can be so profound when it's when it's done right and not at Disneyland, right? <laughs> and the, you know, those are more things that that we need to understand and not just say, "Oh, that's bad." Why is it bad? Well, we don't know why, but it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> that would be anti-science, right there. 
Well, Joel, where can people find out more about Charlotte's Web? Um, if you want to know about Charlotte's Web, if you're interested in trying the product, um, go to cwhemp.com. Um, cwhemp.com. Um, also, there's there's uh, a great compilation of research on cannabis in general, but CBD as well, um, at at the Realm of Caring Foundation website, which is www.therock.us. www.theroc.us. Oh, R-O-C, not R-O-C-K. R-O-C, okay, no kidding. Yeah. Got it, for Realm, Realm of Caring. Of caring. Cool. You got it. Awesome. Thanks again for being on Bulletproof Radio. Keep putting your Charlotte's Web CBD extract in your Bulletproof coffee. And (laughs) have an awesome day, Joel. Thank you so much for having me, Dave. If you enjoyed today's episode, uh, you know what to do. Head on over to iTunes and leave Bulletproof Radio a five-star review and tell people why you like to listen to it. And while you're at it, you might consider trying the new Brain Octane three-ounce bottle You want to have a couple of these, you can refill them from your 32-ounce bottle, but getting a little brain octane in your body every day, or like I do with every meal every day, totally changes your brain. Have an awesome day. Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.